our cancer journey. Hey, OCJ podcast friends. On today's show, Dr. Paula Stewart returns for part two of our conversation about the basics of lymphedema. In this episode, we pick up where we left off in part one of our interview, and Dr. Paula shares with us some fascinating facts about how the lymphatic system works and how you, working with a trained lymphedema specialist, can stop and oftentimes reverse the symptoms of this disease. Check out this clip from the show. There are some people that perform massage out there, and they're very effective people that can do some help here or some help there. And general massage does have a mild benefit on the lymphatic system. But when you're in a situation where you have the disease of lymphedema, a general massage may not do anything to help you get that fluid from point A to point B and then how to move that fluid to get the fluid to that point. And that's why this certification is so important. That is right. Actually, there are some methods of massage that can be detrimental because they're moving the fluid the wrong way. There's no understanding about where the fluid is going to be moved to. So you could not have made the point better. The Our Cancer Journey podcast is a place for those impacted by cancer, their caregivers, and their loved ones. Together, we explore ways that we can optimize our lives through the experiences of diagnosis and treatments and beyond into the future of survivorship. And now your host, Bruce Watkins. Greetings, everyone. I am Bruce Watkins, your host for the Our Cancer Journey podcast. This is the show where together we'll explore ways to help you feel better, live happier, expand your self-empowerment, and enhance your life experience. Welcome to our episode today. This is the second part of our interview with Dr. Paula Stewart. Now, if you listened to that first episode, the part one of our interview with Dr. Paula Stewart, we introduced the concept of the lymphatic system, how it was discovered, and how little time the professional medical community spent studying it and understanding it. For years, that contributed to the fact that it was hard for them to discuss this disease with us patients. So these two episodes, part one and part two, hopefully will be a great resource to anybody that's experienced any kind of serious body trauma or cancer patients that have had surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, or even new immunotherapy, because any or all of that could affect the lymphatic system and thus cause lymphedema. Now, in today's episode, we're going to go a little bit more into depth about how the lymphatic system works. Trust me, it is really fascinating. And when you learn these basics about how our body works, you'll understand the importance of getting right on the first symptoms of lymphedema, because as Dr. Paula explains, lymphedema can cause long-lasting problems in our body that are very, very difficult to deal with. Now, the good news is that trained lymphedema specialists, those are the ones that are certified by organizations like the Lymphology Association of North America, which our guest Dr. Paula Stewart just happens to be the president of, and other world organizations that certify lymphedema specialists. These professionals, with their skilled training, can begin to address lymphedema, which is the buildup of fluids in our body that can cause major harm, and they can not only stop it, but in many cases, they can reverse that fluid buildup and help our bodies to heal and be healthy. So save this episode, make a note of it, and go back and give it to people that are experiencing any kind of illness where lymphedema could show up. 
It could be the difference between them getting the care they need or them letting this disease languish and cause them true harm. Now, like the first episode, we're going to talk about this dense subject, but Dr. Paula and I are going to have some fun, too. I really enjoyed talking to her. She's very approachable, as I said, and we got some great comments about the first episode. Matter of fact, I got one comment that said, this is the first time I've heard anything about this subject that was actually easy to listen to, which is the goal of the Our Cancer Journey podcast. So I'm going to start the interview with Dr. Paula Stewart in just a minute. But before we start that, I want to remind you that if you are listening to our show on a mobile device or on a computer, and you happen to be on a podcast app that allows you to follow our show so you get notifications, please click that button so you get every episode downloaded. That would be super helpful. And if you listen all the way through to the end of this podcast, There's going to be an announcement with some fun information and another cool thing that can help you with lymphedema too. So make sure to listen to the entire show. We'd really appreciate it. Okay, here is part two of our conversation with Dr. Paula Stewart. Let's roll the tape. So Dr. Paula, we know a little bit about the high level purpose of the lymph system, or we know we're still learning about that. But one of the things I'm the most curious about For our listening audience, just figuring out what this lymph thing is and just maybe hearing that there's an entire system that does this for the first time, let me tell you where I'm at. When I was a kid, the only exposure I ever had to the lymphatic system was two things. I saw a drawing when I was in school that had veins and arteries from the circulatory system, and they had blue and red lines. (laughs) And there was that big old heart sitting there pumping away, and everybody knows what that thing is. Then I saw this overlay with a different color of a venous system that was laying right next to the circulatory system, but I didn't see a heart. Right. And I'm really kind of curious about how that stuff's flowing because right now it just looks like a little tiny tube. A little tiny tube. And the last time <laughs> last time I checked, you know, the little tubes don't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really curious. If the lymphatic system is supposed to be picking up fluids and moving them, how does it do that? Well, Bruce, you are actually alluding to one of my favorite aspects of the lymphatic system. Doctor, is it magic? Just tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Almost, but not quite. Um, I explain to my patients all the time that the lymphatic system is a one-way system, as you have already stated. It actually is born off the walls of the veins. So it's why you find lymphatics everywhere you find veins. Really? Yes. I knew they were collaborative somehow, and I know you're going to explain that in a minute, but it's that closely associated with the... Yes. Oh, wow. So they are born directly off the walls of the venous system. And so there are lymphatic... Wait, Doc, for our audience, the venous system is the veins and arteries of the circulatory system, correct? The veins. I'm talking about just the veins. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So the arteries meet the veins in the capillary beds. And very often there is leakage out of that capillary bed into the soft tissues, the medical term being interstitium, but the the soft tissues around the capillary beds. 
Which is basically everything of our body, right? Pretty much. <laughs> that is not inside a blood vessel or a vein or a lymphatic vessel, yes. Okay. So let's go back just one second here, Doc. We have these big veins, these major channels, our aorta by our heart, and then we've got our jugular vein, and we've got some big veins going down into our legs. But those are big transportation like freeways, right? Yes. And then the veins and the arteries get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the arteries, the, the red colored ones from my diagram, <laughs> where their job is to take blood out to the body after it's got nutrients in it and it's got oxygen in it, correct? Correct. The arteries and the veins, from bigger ones that transport a lot of blood to smaller and smaller and smaller ones to get into the tissue. And then this thing about a capillary bed, can you just give us a real layperson's explanation of what that is. The arteries become smaller and smaller and more numerous because they're taking the oxygen and nutrients to multiple, multiple sites, as you very well pointed out. And at that capillary bed, the capillary is literally one cell layer thick and the blood gives up its oxygen and nutrients at that point and then becomes a vein, which is blood heading back towards the heart and the lungs to get reoxygenated. So that capillary bed is kind of, and I'm going to use very simple terms, Doc, and tell me if I'm way off base, okay? Okay. The capillary bed is the thinnest, tiniest little vessels that... Because they're so thin, they permit the nutrients and the oxygen to leach out and diffuse into the tissue where they can grab their food and do their thing. And then the fluids are automatically being collected in the same way. They're through the new tiny veins that are taking that used blood with the depleted oxygen and whatever waste stuff from the cells. It's going to take it back up to the heart to get re-cleaned, reprocessed, and shot back out into the arteries, correct? Well, not quite. Actually, any debris tends to accumulate out there in the interstitium, in that in-between place that is not in the vessel. And this is where the lymphatic shows up. Okay. So the lymphatic also at the capillary bed is one cell thick with openings between the cells. And when there is high pressure in the soft tissues, those openings are wide open and they are sucking the extra fluid in the interstitium along with cellular debris, along with partial cells, even partial cancer cells. It picks up a lot of the garbage and fluids, extra fluids, out there in the interstitium and pulls it into the lymphatic system. Wow. So, Bruce, the fluid moves through openings in the lymphatics. So, as the pressure in the interstitium rises because there's extra fluid out there, the openings become wider, the fluid moves in, and is pulled into the lymphatic system because there are chambers a little north of those capillaries that are beating, like little beating hearts. That is amazing. So just like air pressure can, if it builds up in one room, flows into another room, these capillaries of the lymph system 
are designed when the fluid gets to a certain point of pressure. The holes in the little capillaries actually open up and allow the fluid to be pushed in there to be transported back and be recycled, correct? You're absolutely right. That is correct. That's incredible. Okay, so now the pressure from the fluid going into those little lymphatic capillaries, that makes a lot of sense. But is that enough pressure to keep it going through the entire channel? How does it keep pumping? That is the most amazing part of the lymphatic system, in my opinion. The rest of the lymphatic system has muscle on the inside of the vessels, and there are chambers called lymphangions. And once the fluid gets into the lymphangion, it is compressed, pushing it or propelling it towards the heart. And there are two little valves on each end of the lymphangion. So the lymphangion will squeeze the valve in the direction towards the heart, will open, moving that fluid out of that chamber into the next chamber, but it will prevent backflow because of the valves at the bottom of the chamber. Oh, that's incredible. Yes, yes. This sounds like a sophisticated piping thing going over hundreds of miles. This is a very, very complex system. It is. It is. And it's, uh, it's incredible. So it has its own method of propulsion. In addition, it turns out that there are external forces like muscle pumps. So if you have uh, lymphatics in your legs, which you do, and you walk or you run, that pumping action of the calf muscles actually helps to also move lymph fluid and venous blood back up towards the heart. So exercise becomes an important part of how lymph fluid is moved, how venous blood is moved. You know, it's really interesting. We we hear about the benefits of exercise all the time. I think most people that are pedestrians in that conversation, you know, and I, I'm not a crazy physical person. I exercise, try to keep my body in good shape. But I think of it as I'm keeping my muscles strong. I'm keeping my joints limber. But it's doing so much more for us in so many different areas. And now the lymphatic system benefits. Absolutely. You got it. Okay. That's really cool. So now we've gotten the blood out of the tissue. If it has any junk in it, you know, any waste, this is our little uh, sanitation pipe. You mentioned it's going one way. So it's basically meant to collect stuff and take it back to the system. It is. On its journey, though, it has um, way stations called lymph nodes. So the fluid goes through the lymph node, and the lymph node is filled with immune protective cells that help to cleanse that lymphatic fluid. So we talked about how it's full of all this junk. And as the lymph fluid is making its journey back into the circulation is where it's going, it stops at multiple lymph nodes along the way. They're actually, the lymph nodes are accumulated behind your knee, at the ankle, pretty much at most of the joints in the body and around any of the places we have openings. So head and neck actually has 250 plus lymph nodes because of all of the openings. We have eyes, nose, mouth, ears, Um, needs lots of protection. And of the 700 or so 
lymph nodes in the body, 250 of them are in the head and neck area alone. Big news to me because that's where my cancer was. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, for those people that are in my space that have done that, you know you have a few less lymph nodes in that area. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously I could launch right into the question about lymph nodes and cancer, but let's just keep going because I want to get to the end of what happens at the end of this marvelous journey. I always had a soft spot in my heart for people that work in the sanitation space because they're taking my stuff away. You know, they always seem to be they always seem to be happier than you would ever imagine out there. I've talked to a few uh, trash men, and there may be some cranky ones out there, but I met some really wonderful people with a great attitude, and I'm very grateful for them too. But this thing is moving, and the lymph nodes are purifying that lymph fluid to some degree, and maybe killing some bad stuff that's in it. Is that simply so the fluid could move, but it also have the ulterior purpose of keeping us healthy? Yes. There's a dual purpose in the lymphatics. We have the cleansing aspect, but we also have fluid regulation. And a lot of fluid regulation occurs right at the lymph nodes. So they are removing fluid and helping to balance our fluid balance. We think of the kidneys as doing that primarily, but actually it turns out that the lymph nodes do a huge part of our fluid regulation. Say fluid regulation, doctor, are you talking about amounts? So it's being regulating the amounts because nothing comes out of the lymph node out of the body. Or are you talking about pressure and moving things at a certain speed in a certain volume? I'm talking about moving fluid from the lymphatic vessel back into the vascular space meaning the veins and arteries. Yeah, I was curious about how that worked because based upon what you've described the lymphatic fluid is from its source, it's got to be dumped back in at some point to be cleaned and to be recycled and re-energized as far as fluid, whether it's blood or whatever. So tell us about that. So the lymph nodes have some regulatory ability to adjust how much fluid is in the lymphatic vessel's versus in the vascular space, but they also continue to move the fluid that's in the lymphatics, further, I call it north, <laughs> back towards the heart. And as you go towards the heart, those vessels get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you eventually get to a place called the thoracic duct, which drains the left arm, left leg, right leg, so three of the limbs in that portion of the trunk and the thoracic duct dumps into a vein just before it gets into the heart and joins the blood system. Again, that purified lymphatic fluid goes back into the rest of the blood and recirculates. There is also the right arm and forequarter, and that is drained by the subclavian vein. So it's a remarkable system. It is absolutely incredible. You can see how if there is damage to any part of it, there is going to be a problem with accumulation of fluid, problems with increased risk of infection for the portion of the body that has been damaged, increased problems with fluid regulation for the entire body. Now, doctor, you were talking about exercise earlier. I heard something. And I was really in tune with it because I actually think breathing and meditation and those kind of things have value. Some people are starting to learn that now, especially if you go through cancer, about calming yourself down, 
stilling your mind and that kind of stuff. There's so many psychological benefits from that, but we are now knowing through science that there's a lot of physiological benefits from that. But I'm really surprised, happily surprised, to find out that this thoracic duct area, which is going right through the abdomen, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so this vein that's going right through the abdomen, you were mentioning when we exercise, it helps the lymphatic system in the legs pump a little bit more. Just deep breathing, I hear, can really help the thoracic space in the lymphatic system operate as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's exactly right. And we often talk about exercise that is important for patients with lymphedema. And some of that exercise that is taught to the patients includes deep breathing. Most of the time, if you are doing exercises, however, Notice that your heart rate and your breathing rate go up. So even non-intentional breathing that comes with exercise will also have that positive effect. But you can sit with your deep breathing and have a positive impact on the flow of lymph fluid as it makes its journey back into circulation. Why I really am intrigued by this topic is because... We actually look at some of the ancient literature, like yoga or about meditation. They all say that deep breathing has profound benefits, way beyond what they're telling you about the physiology. And here it is again. It does so much in so many different ways to help us. And this is just another example of something from this ancient literature coming true. I, I, I love that. I love that when the wise people really had a handle on something. But even more than that, doctor... What I like about this is there are people that have just gone through treatments and they're decimated. I mean, they're physically tired. They're impacted. Maybe they're immobile. They're reclining most of the time. So the concept of exercise as we know it, getting up, moving around, walking, jogging, lifting weights, none of that is anywhere in their sphere of influence at that time. But we can actually, yeah. in a reclining position, when we're pretty debilitated, we can at least do some deep breathing, and that is doing something to help our body with moving this lymphatic fluid along. Yes, you're exactly right. And thank you. You actually gave me a little insight there as well. You're exactly right. It will help. Oh, God. God. Double check anything I'm saying. <laughs> I, I love my people, doctor. Don't let me be guiding any treatment. <laughs> well, no, I just, I, I heard that. And one of the things on this program, doctor, is, you know, you might have heard, we're very, very much into also nailing takeaways, exploring things a little bit more so we can say, hey, here's an idea you may want to consider. And this is one of them. In talking to cancer patients, People lose a lot of hope or feel a sense of helplessness because everything they know as something that's effective is out of their reach. And to find something like this that's so effective, I always like to bring it out and really highlight it. So I really appreciate you doing that. Thanks for the compliment, too. <laughs> it scares me a little bit. But I really appreciate that, Dr. Hey, OCJ podcast friends, it is Bruce and I'm popping into the show for just a minute with two really fun announcements. First, I mentioned a while back on the podcast that I was hired to produce a patient education video for an education institution. 
Well, that video just happens to be on the subject of lymphedema. The University of Cincinnati Cancer Center in Ohio in the United States hired me as a creative producer to help them produce a video on lymphedema. And they did it because they knew what we were talking about here, that lymphedema is a very complex subject. Well, we finished that video, and it's an informative and easy-to-watch piece. And the good people at the University of Cincinnati Cancer Center have allowed me to share it with you. If you go to OurCancerJourney.com, that's OurCancerJourney.com, backslash lymphedema, you'll see not only the show notes for the episodes we've done on lymphedema, but you'll also see a link directly to the lymphedema education video. Share it with everybody you can. And thanks again to the good people at UC Health and the University of Cincinnati Cancer Center for working on this video for all of us. Now, back to the show. I'd like to start to go into bits about the therapy that could be effective from a high level. Okay. Pertinent here is going to be the, you know, what happens when we treat people for cancer? So we very, very often will take lymph nodes in the vicinity of cancer. If somebody, for example, has breast cancer, They will identify that cancer in the breast and then look for lymph nodes nearby to see if there is cancer in those lymph nodes, and that's a part of how the cancer is staged. When you pull a lymph node out of the axilla or the armpit, you're going to be damaging all of the lymph vessels that attach to that lymph node. So the lymph vessels coming into the lymph node become scarred off and they can no longer take fluid from the arm and carry it up into the vascular space where it dumps back in again. Well, that makes perfect sense. And it's also that you're taking a junction out of the pipeline. Exactly. Got it. So so not only is the lymph little vessel or capillary or whatever have nowhere to go, but when you take out the lymph node and that end of that vessel collapses or dies or whatever it does, it's got nowhere to go because the connector's gone as well, right? Correct. And when that happens, doctor, what happens in our body? If too many of those lymph nodes are taken out or their system is already running at maximum capacity, somebody did a little study looking at women who get lymphedema from breast cancer, And their lymphatic system was already at maximum capacity. All they needed was one or two lymph nodes to be taken out. And the whole system basically failed. And they accumulated fluid in their arm because they just did not have enough capacity in the system to be able to tolerate a reduction in lymph flow. So their arm started to accumulate fluid because they did not have any other way of offloading the fluid that was accumulating in that arm. Some women can have five or six lymph nodes, seven lymph nodes, 10 lymph nodes taken, and they don't get lymphedema. This has been sort of the age-old question. Why do some people get lymphedema and why do others not with the same techniques? Now, I've heard that very same thing. And it's not surprising to me because I keep thinking we're so advanced in modern science, but it really is the individual physiologies that we have that really help to determine how this disease is going to present in our individual bodies. You're exactly right. 
So that, that makes it even more complex. But what you're saying sounds like everybody really is at risk. If it's disrupted, this can happen. That's correct. And we're just in the process of trying to understand those factors that will be protective and those factors that will contribute to lymphedema. We're in an evolving space right now, aren't we, doctor? We are. Okay. We are. So tell us more about the congestion and what's going on with the fluid buildup. Well, what's important is some people seem to have the capacity to actually grow new lymphatic vessels. Really? Yes. Angiogenesis is the medical term for growing new lymphatics, but radiation therapy, which is a very big part of a lot of cancer treatment, and some of the chemotherapy agents will prevent lymphangiogenesis. You're kind of preventing the body's approach to disruption of the lymphatic system. So you are ensuring in some ways that there will be ongoing problems with the lymphatic system with cancer. So the treatment for lymphedema is made harder by the treatment for cancer because cancer treatment, including radiation or chemotherapy, will actually impair lymphangiogenesis or the regeneration of new lymphatic vessels. Yeah, you know, we grow new capillaries, right? In the circulatory system, we grow new blood vessels from time to time when we get injured. It's cancer treatment stuff that saves our lives. Can impair lymphatic regrowth. Yes. Oh, man. For all of our plumbers out there, step in. We're missing (laughs) some pipes. We're missing some fittings. Right. Then stuff starts building up and the way that it could repair itself has been diminished or completely removed because the treatments that saved our lives left behind that little gift. Yeah. Then really, based upon what you're saying, at the moment, because this futuristic surgery that's in the very, very, very experimental stage is a ways off, the therapy that your folks are working with and to propagate to help us is the way that we're going to manage this system. Right. Give us a high-level explanation. So I'm going to give you a simple explanation. We move the fluid out of whatever body part it's been accumulated in. Then we apply a back pressure to prevent reaccumulation. And then once we have removed all of the accumulated fluid, it takes a while. It doesn't occur in one day or one treatment or even in a week. It often takes multiple weeks of therapy and treatment to move all that fluid out. That is the treatment phase. The maintenance phase is when all that fluid has been removed and we've got a stable situation. We then maintain the limb that has been treated by applying ongoing compression to prevent reaccumulation. Ah. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense, doctor, because when I saw the word complete decongestive therapy, in my mind, I'm thinking there's a lot to this. There's many, many steps. Right. So you brought up the very important point that there's harm that occurs with leaving lymph fluid in the soft tissues. Let me tell you a little bit about some of the things that can happen. Please do, doc. There are multiple stages of lymphedema that can occur, and they basically occur as a result of fluid accumulating in the soft tissues. We talk about 
three stages of lymphedema. It actually starts with stage zero where there's no visible change. And then we go through stage one where there is visible swelling that will come and go. Stage two is when you have visible swelling that is soft to the touch, but it never completely goes away. Very often, somebody will lay down at night and go to sleep, and in the morning, they'll go, oh, look, the swelling's gone out of my leg or out of my arm. But stage two, it doesn't go away in the morning. Stage three is when we see fibrotic skin changes, and that fibrosis where the skin gets thick and tough and knobbly, that's a medical term, Um, It occurs because the lymphatic fluid is a very high protein fluid and it causes inflammation of the soft tissues and it causes those soft tissues to actually scar. The tissue becomes really hard and fibrotic. Very often, it looks like elephant skin. In fact, stage three lymphedema is often called elephantiasis because it looks like elephant skin. It's just thick and hard and not pliable at all. And that's all because of that fluid causing that scarring. And it interrupts other physiological things too, correct, doctor? It interrupts healing. It interrupts the immune response that we talked about earlier so that you're more prone to infection in the affected limb. So there's a number of things that that occur because of the presence of that fluid in the soft tissue. You want to get it out. If somebody has lymphedema of their leg, for example, I have seen patients with 50 pounds of fluid in a single limb. Oh my God. (laughs) That's crazy. And you can imagine after a while, you don't know if it's because of a previous injury or something that has happened before. It's very uncomfortable. It becomes very difficult to even mobilize when you have those kinds of size considerations occurring and sitting becomes uncomfortable. Trying to find a position of comfort in bed, trying to sit in a car and drive for a while when you are dealing with two legs that have 50 pounds of fluid each. You have the weight of another human being in your lower body that you're trying to accommodate on a day-to-day basis. Well, now would be a great place to make this statement, doctor. Folks, there are people that are out there that go to the doctor immediately when anything looks like it could be a problem. There are people that allow things to happen to them that are clearly a problem. They can see something is going wrong. And they let it go further and further and further. This would be a thing where if one of your legs was swelling and the other wasn't, if one hand was swelling and another isn't, I can see how somebody might think, oh, I'm gaining some weight. Oh, I hurt myself and I have an injury. But when that sustains for a period of time and just keeps getting bigger, you're not getting better from an injury. It's getting worse. It's unnatural to gain weight in one part of your body. It's almost impossible. Generally, weight builds up uniformly or symmetrically. So if something unnatural like that is happening, the sooner you go to the doctor, the better the treatments work for anything. 
Is that true with the lymphedema therapy, doctor? That is absolutely true. Once you get to fibrosis, it is very difficult to reverse. You can still get some of the fluid out of the area, but once the tissue has been altered and scarred, and as you call it, fibrosis has really set in, reversing the fibrosis so the skin goes back to what was known as normal before is either extremely difficult or sometimes just downright impossible. You are exactly right. The longer you let fibrosis go, the harder it is to treat. But I did not mention the other terrible effect of accumulated lymph fluid, and that is that you get a accumulation of fatty tissue subcutaneously, and that ends up being impossible to eliminate with our methods of lymphedema treatment. We can soften the fibrotic tissue with enough hand therapy, et cetera. The fatty tissue, the subcutaneous secondary fatty accumulation does not go away. And that typically will need liposuction in the future if you allow enough fatty tissue accumulation. So basically, it's a downward spiral. The longer you let it go, the worse the original symptoms get. New symptoms occur, which compound things. And then when you become immobile, that lack of exercise even hurts more and just keeps spiraling down and down. Wow, Doc. Well, so you've mentioned treatments. Can you quickly just tell us a couple of examples of the treatments that a certified lymphedema therapist would do for us? Yes. When you first meet a certified lymphedema therapist, they will evaluate you just to make sure they understand why you have lymphedema, what's going on, and that, in fact, it is lymphedema. There are a few things that can mimic lymphedema, and they want to make sure you don't have congestive heart failure or deep venous thrombosis, a DVT is is what people call it. So they'll make sure that they know that you have lymphedema. And then they will begin with manual lymphatic drainage. And that is using a very light massage technique where they're attempting to move the lymphatic fluid through lymphatic channels that are still intact. And they will assess in their assessment what they're looking for is where have the lymphatic channels been compromised and how do they work around those compromised lymphatic channels to move lymph fluid out of the affected limb and back into the trunk so it can join the circulation. So, Doctor, what I'm getting from this is these certified therapists who've gone through extensive training aren't doing a massage. They're not just trying to push stuff. They have to analyze what your system is like, what parts are working, what aren't, and they're navigating and negotiating these fluids through manual manipulation towards an area that's going to effectively help to drain it. Bruce, I couldn't have said that better. In fact, you said it better than I did. Oh, that's stop exactly it. right. Well, no, no. The reason why I brought this up, well, let's let's face it. The reason why I brought it up is because I wanted to hear a compliment from you. <laughs> no, no. The reason why I brought this up is because there are some people that perform massage out there, and they're very effective people that have been exposed to many different techniques that can do some help here or some help there. 
And sometimes they will refer to the fact that they can help the lymphatic system. And general massage does have a mild benefit on the lymphatic system in some cases. But when you're in a situation where you have the disease of lymphedema, a general massage may not do anything to help you get that fluid from point A to point B. It takes a specialist to know where to send it to and then how to move that fluid, how to move your body to manipulate to get the fluid to that point that they've been trained to find. And that's why this certification is so important. That is right. Actually, there are some methods of massage that can be detrimental because they're moving the fluid the wrong way. There's no understanding or intentionality about where the fluid is going to be moved to. So you, you could not have made the point better. Well, doctor, thank you very much. As you may have heard, this podcast isn't about promoting anything. You know, we're kind of agnostic. We're trying to introduce things. But there are so many people out there that make well-meaning statements that they can do some good here or there. I just want to make sure our listeners know and our listeners can communicate to those people that maybe their loved ones that are facing lymphedema or cancer, that in these particular cases, having a specialist in your camp is a great, great thing. So let's move on to talk about some of the other kinds of treatments. You've mentioned compression, and I think you said something about bandages. Well, after the therapist has formed manual drainage and moved some of that fluid out of the limb or portion of the trunk or whatever part of the body that fluid has been accumulating, they will apply short stretch bandaging. And it's important that it's short stretch. It turns out that something like an ACE bandage, which we call long stretch bandage, uh, will not supply the same compression when you are moving the muscles of that limb. So with a short stretch, you get good compression with muscle power and you get less at rest where it's the opposite with a long stretch bandage. So you're saying the DYI people, which I've been guilty of when I see something going wrong, I try to apply my own therapy based upon something I've seen in the past, an ACE bandage. I mean, how many of us have grabbed an ACE bandage to try to fix something, right? In this case, the ACE bandage would not only be the wrong thing, it might actually do us more harm than good because it's not actually doing the compression it needs to open up those little lymphatic capillaries. So this is just another reason to get somebody that knows what they're doing. Exactly. And the part I would be very concerned about is that when people are applying a bandage, they very often don't wrap correctly. First of all, it's always from the most distal portion of the limb to the most proximal. Some people start at the top and work their way down. That would be wrong. And the second is that when you're bandaging, it's very important to apply the right compression. If you have way too much pressure, at the top of the limb, you've basically created a tourniquet and you are cutting off the flow of blood and venous blood and lymphatic circulation and causing a worsening of the problem. So let a trained professional bandage your swollen limb. Do not do this yourself. You can cause more harm than good, as you already said. That's fantastic. Okay. And these treatments and other things that they could do, the lymphedema therapist can eventually help teach patients with some practice how to do some of this stuff on their own at home to continue these 
interventions. Absolutely. It's considered a part of the first portion of lymphedema treatment is that you're not only providing the therapy, but you are also providing the education on massage, on the bandaging, on skin care, and on exercises. Well, that's great news, doctor, because I think there's a lot of people out there that the thought of being hooked in to a lifelong obligation to go see therapists and doctors on a chronic condition day in and day out just becomes overwhelming. Certainly, it's not what they want to do. Sometimes it could be a super financial concern. But this is something where during the early intervention stages, the therapist is teaching us how to do it so we can actually wind up weaning ourselves off of having to go see the therapist and spend that time and even that money because we can do a lot of these things on our own once we're trained and then we can do them for as long as we need to. Yes. And the goal of therapy is phase two, which is maintenance. We are always looking to getting whoever we're treating, whoever we're taking care of to that maintenance phase. Sometimes it's three weeks if it's a simple early case Sometimes it's six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks before we can get them to that maintenance phase. But we're always looking to that next stage where the patient is looking after their own wellness and well-being in the management of their lymphedema. Meaning that the patients are doing the things they need to do at home on their own time by themselves after they get that expert training. Absolutely. You okay. got it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's so nice to have a situation where you have a disease, that kind of, that's the stupidest thing I've ever said. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's so nice that if you have a serious disease and it may be a kind of chronic condition that is never going to go away and you have to manage it, that you're not beholden to be in the doctor's office all the time. You actually can get completely competent on your own and it gives you a lot of freedom and you can do a lot of other things too. So, that is great news, doctor. Absolutely. This was really fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to you. You were really wonderful and warm and gracious. Thanks a lot for sharing stuff the way you did with our audience. It was really beneficial. Bruce, I have the opportunity to talk at a lot of different venues, but I have to tell you, this was the most fun I've had in a very, very long time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You helped point out that I am lymphedema. That's amazing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, it has been an absolute pleasure. I hope we stay in touch. Thanks again for everything you do. My pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> well, folks, what did you think of that interview? I mean, here we are talking about a really complex and dense topic about the lymphatic system, and it's so intense that even some medical professionals shy away from getting too into it with us because now we know that they don't even have enough of the training in it in some cases. So much is happening in this space, and I'm so grateful for experts like Dr. Paula Stewart coming on. And yet, Dr. Paula can come in here and laugh and have a good time and really give us information that we can grab and do practical things with. Like somebody said to me once, I listen to your show because it's like I'm sitting around my living room with friends talking, except some of our friends are really incredibly inspirational. They've got great stories or they're super learned on their topics and they're experts. 
So I'm very grateful to all of our guests that come on. Thank you again, Dr. Stewart. And remember, if you really like what we're doing here at the Our Cancer Journey podcast, follow our podcast on your podcast apps. We're on every podcast app around the world. We're also at www.ourcancerjourney.com. And go to our website in the show notes. We're going to have links to those resources I told you about, about lymphedema, the cool topics and content that we've got there. We would love you to visit and drop us a note so we can stay in touch. We'd really appreciate it. So folks, thanks for listening to the Our Cancer Journey podcast. As you know, this show is about one thing, and that is about empowerment and optimizing our lives regardless of our circumstances. We do our best to share great information that hopefully you will action and share with others. So please share this show. We're doing everything we can to help people, not just folks in the cancer community, but our caregivers, our loved ones, and everyone. So thanks for listening. We got a great season coming up. Talk to you again soon. This episode of the Our Cancer Journey podcast is sponsored and produced by Fairlead Media. All rights reserved.